somebody can't understand how I can live under the snow in a snow cave for a month would just think that that would be risky. This person also summited the highest mountain in North America in the winter alone. He's the only person to do it. Many people would wonder, why do you even do this? The rewards for taking those sorts of risks are only really internal and intangible. But what about when you ask him about his financial investments? Does this internal, intangible reward apply there too? But what I what I tend to do is stuff that's more tangible. You invest in something and then you get something tangible in return. I like having stuff tangible that I have uh, I have control over that. Hello, Meister fan. If you're new to the show, welcome. You should already know about us. But if you don't, go check us out on your favorite podcast app, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, wherever. Type in MTN Meister in the search bar. Press subscribe and your phone will automatically upload the newest episode for free. I know podcasts sound like an old technology, but it's actually the wave of the future. Now, if you're a Mountain Meister veteran and you're ready to help us out, go to our support page on our website and check out all the great options to help keep this podcast running. Thanks to all of you who have kept us alive thus far. Because of you, on to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Mountain Meister. Today with us on the other end is Lonnie Dupre. Hi, Lonnie. Hi, Ben. How are you? So good. So if the listeners, if you don't know who Lonnie is, you may have heard of him this past winter, if not for the 25 years before that. He's a legendary Arctic explorer, a mountain climber, and the founder of One World Endeavors, uh, a robust list of accomplishments, many of them firsts. The first Pacific to Atlantic Traverse of the Northwest Passage by Dogsled, uh, the first human-powered circumnavigation of Greenland, and the first human-powered summer expedition to the North Pole. Most recently, this past January, he became the first person to ever summit Denali solo in the winter. Lonnie, congratulations on everything, and welcome to Mountain Meister. Thanks so much. So I like to hear how people get involved in this kind of stuff, uh, particularly polar exploration. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, well, um, for me, it started when I, uh, uh, thinking about winter when I was growing up in a farm in central Minnesota and, and spending my summer vacations working on a cash crop farm, basically uh, planting sweet corn and picking picking vegetables by hand and stuff. But those summer vacations, those summers in Minnesota were very humid and hot and uh, they're much different than our winters, of course. But uh, the summers were just uh, quite stifling for me. And so um, I longed for winter when uh, things were a bit cooler and uh, uh, I could regulate my body temperature a little better because in the summer you can only take so much clothes off uh, to stay cool, and in the winter you can always get enough on. So I, um, not only that, um, by having a winter come upon Minnesota, it allowed me as a young guy to uh, explore more of the area because a lot of the rivers and creeks and lakes would freeze over, and you could walk and sled 
uh, or skate and ski across those areas, which would expand the uh, territory of uh, exploration, as you will, uh, when I was younger. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. So this is a 100% serious question. Uh, I've noticed that there are definitely world-class mountaineers who didn't grow up in the mountains, but I haven't found too many polar explorers who didn't grow up in either Minnesota or Norway. Do I have that right? Yeah, well, Minnesota, Norway, and the UK, uh, you know, is uh, probably the biggest uh, population of uh, Arctic adventurers for sure. So why do we find on the mountaineering side people growing up not in the territory at all and loving it, but not really on the polar exploration side, people growing up not in <laughs> that kind of area? Maybe the maybe the mountaineers uh, that grew up in uh, the flatlands were sick of looking at cornfields. I don't know. <laughs> you know, they probably got they probably you know somebody growing up in Iowa see mountains for the first time. It's like, oh my word! I gotta go. I gotta go look around that location. I gotta climb some of them hills. Well, how about the other way? Somebody grew up in the mountains and was like, wow, just this vast landscape of nothingness. Well, there's some mountaineers that have actually uh, started doing uh, some Arctic exploration just for those reasons. Interesting. Very cool. Yeah, yeah not many, but a few. <laughs> so let's talk about the most recent Denali expedition. Lots of press around this. Congratulations once again. Uh, just really quickly, Denali or McKinley and why? Uh, Denali is the name of the mountain. It was the name that the uh, Athabascans gave that long before it was settled. So uh, Denali is the appropriate name. Uh, McKinley is named after, I believe, uh, a guy, a president from Ohio who's never even been in Alaska before. So I don't understand it. You don't understand it at all? No, I don't understand why they would call it McKinley. Uh, Denali is Denali, and Alaskans call it Denali as well. Very few Alaskans call it McKinley. So we'll we'll go with Denali for the remainder of this episode. Uh, you tried it three times so over the past three years, or this was your fourth over the past four years. That's correct. This was my fourth winter expedition to Denali, mm -hmm. and the weather was the reason the first three times. Well, it's it is the weather is uh, very blatant there. I mean, it's not a matter of weather. Can I can I can I climb today or can't I? It's the weather really dictates everything that goes on up there. And uh, to try to fight or uh, push up against uh, that the weather on Denali will will get you killed for sure. Now, why did you want to do this alone? Uh, I've traveled most of the Arctic, uh, you know, over the years um, um, with uh, another team member, and I prefer to travel with a with uh, another person. But this was a personal challenge for myself, not just psychologically, but also um, in the realm of just testing my abilities from all the years of traveling around the Arctic and Greenland and going to the North Pole and testing those. Uh, things I learned uh, while traveling in those areas and applying it to Denali. You're 54, right? Yeah, I feel a little older than that today, but yeah, I'm 54. <laughs> so how many more times do you think you would have tried? How many more opportunities would you have had? Uh, last year probably would have been my last year. Really? But I've said that before, right? Right. 
<laughs> so I, uh, but I really think I would have probably given it a rest because um, climate change is making exploration and mountain climbing uh, extremely dangerous because of just the uh, the weather events that are happening um, with uh, very little warning. And so it's not like a thing of the past where you could read books about the old explorers or old mountaineers of what they encountered, what they went through, and then use that information to prepare for a trip that you want to do, uh, per se, on a particular mountain or crossing a particular area of the Arctic. You just can't rely on the weather anymore. Not, not, not us, not the farmers, not the Inuit people that live out there every single day can uh, predict the weather anymore. It's impossible. That's interesting. So there's this transition, uh, maybe more objective risk from the weather, yet gear and technology is advancing at a rate where you can reduce risk on that end too. So on one hand, you have a reduction of risk, but on the other hand, an increase. Uh, yeah, you could, you could say that, but, uh, there's always, uh, you always know what your clothing's capable of doing, right? Mm -hmm. You're not always, you, you, you're not always understanding what the weather is capable of doing. And I, I guess what I mean by that is that the weather is getting more extreme, yet the gear or the clothing allows us to experience those more extreme conditions right right from now we i mean we go from uh, oil skin canvas rain slickers that they wore years ago to gore-tex so yeah there's there is some uh there has been a definitely a wonderful advancement in 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 clothing and equipment and sleeping bags and things like that uh, no question about it. There's still some uh, traditional stuff that is still better. Hmm. Uh, certain furs around uh, the ruffs of hoods on jackets that are much better than anything you can find synthetically. And certain mittens and certain footwear are uh, still hard hard to find uh, uh, modern-day boots and materials that work better. Mm -hmm. So let's go back to Denali. Uh what does it feel like, I guess, after those first three times coming home, not summiting? It wasn't that hard because the decision was made for me when I was up there. The weather was so bad you couldn't climb. So it wasn't like I felt bad because I had to quit. It wasn't a choice that I made. It was a choice that the weather made for me. So in other words, it's like, well, you know, I trained all year to get up there, you know, six months out of a year to uh, climb that mountain. And then, um, you know, the weather comes in and tells you you can't go. So um, it, it's a little disappointing on that level, but it's not a personal disappointment. It's just disappointing that um, the weather made the decision for you. Yeah. Good, good and bad things about that, but it's not uh, where you just ran out of chutzpah or ran out of, uh, the will or or the effort. Uh, you're just trying to make uh, wise decisions based on the weather at hand. 16 people had summited Denali in the winter. Of those 16, six died on the way down. And those are people who are, are not going solo. Somebody who would kind of just look at those numbers right. would right. say, why are you doing this? We're, we're like really confused, most likely. Why are you doing this? 
Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, and none of those folks were in the month of January, but they were in the winter, and uh, one was solo that actually perished. But the, the fact is, is that um, I feel extremely comfortable in the in the in the winter. Uh, around snow, around glaciers, around uh, the, those kind of things. So I feel really uh, at home in those situations, not saying that those folks didn't either. It's just that, um, you know, I'd feel more of an element of risk being um, in downtown New York at, at 2 o'clock in the morning, you know. Uh, then, then I would be then I would be on that mountain at any particular time. So, do you say anything to yourself to justify those statistics, like why you're doing it? I guess you say you feel more at home. Do you think that statistic applies to you, or no? Well, there's there's forces at play that you can't account for. Things like uh, avalanches, uh, how long the weather will stick around. You just got to make calculated risks on on uh, what's the average length of storm, what would happen if I got caught in my tent away from my food supplies for five days, um, all those kind of things you got to take into account before you go. But uh, it, it's all relevant, too. Somebody can't understand how I can live under under the snow in a snow shelter, a snow cave for a month, would just think that that would be risky. You know, mm-hmm. Some people probably couldn't do that for even a few hours. But um, it's it's just uh, it's it's kind of all relative. It's um, you know you just have to do your homework, not skip any steps when you're when you're heading up a glacier uh, uh, in route uh, up a glacier. You want to make sure you're probing ahead for crevices, and, and there's a couple of different ways I do to prevent from going in a crevice. So I mean, there's everything's got redundancy to it, uh, kind of built into it. Mm-hmm. It's the living slightly out of your comfort zone, you know, where most of the learning takes place, and that's um, that's good for me. I agree with the relative point that you made there. Uh, I think it's like so much of this is just a, a matter of how much time you've put into it, like your whole life, right? So it's very difficult for somebody who hasn't seen, uh, you know, you taking the next step and the next step and the next step uh, for somebody to relate to that. Right, right, yeah, absolutely. More Mountain Meister coming up soon. But first, a word from our sponsor, Buff. Last time, we spoke with Gina Lucrezzi. She's an ultra runner, and she told us how she uses her buffs to prep for the Western State's 100-mile ultra marathon. I actually, a lot of times, wear an extra one around my wrist. I can create, like, little pockets because I can do a few loops. And I'll put ice cubes in the, um, the, like, the little loops. It's a major blood source through your wrist, and if you can keep it kind of cool, it helps a little bit. I was also able to get Gina to do my job for me. So, like, let's say you wanted to really pitch the listeners on why they need to buy a buff. Mm-hmm. Do it. Oh, why? okay, right now? Sure, sure, sure. Well, just hands down, if anybody's serious about being in the mountains or having a, a serious gear kit, you have to have a buff because it keeps you warm or it wicks away the sweat. I mean, just having the UV protection if you're out in the sun, it's a no-brainer. So totally need to uh, buy it off of the Meister and get yeah. that 15% off. No-brainer. It takes $3 off, knocks the original buff down to $17. 
something that I like to say is like, just think of all the stupid things that you've spent $17 on. Yeah, I know. Think right. of all the way, all the coffees at Starbucks that right. you spend money on every, every other day or some people, what they get like three or four per day. That's, so yeah. Well, if you use coffees as a currency, it kind of a buff costs about three or four coffees from Starbucks, depending on what variety you get. Right. And you'll have that so much longer. <laughs> <laughs> I would so hope much so. more worth it than the coffee <laughs> good stuff so for the listeners to get your buff for about four coffees from starbucks use the code meister m-e-i-s-t-e-r at checkout at buffusa.com gina lucrezzi thanks for joining us totally thank you for having me this is awesome a lot of fun this deal and all others on our website, mtnmeister.com, under the deal section. Now back to our conversation with Lonnie Dupre. When you get back from doing something, I mean, this this was challenging for you, I assume, right? When you get back, do you miss that challenge? Is that something that's missing? Um. No, I mean, um, there was a lot, there's a lot of hardships and there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of really tense moments because of the situation you're in up there. So you don't miss those things all that much. Um, but after time, after several months, you soon forget those hardships and then the uh, want for adventure and seeing what's around the next corner comes back again and uh kind of fills you with inspiration i want to talk about your risk threshold we're calling we talked a little bit about this before the show we'll preface this by saying the majority of what we talk about on the show is are, are these topics that relate to our listeners lives because honestly nobody can relate to a solo denali expedition in the winter uh, nobody alive. So what we try to do is find these parallels, which is normally human behavior and how we make decisions. I want to talk about risk uh, because there's risk in everybody's life, no matter what. You have maybe a different tolerance for risk in your adventuring, right? But maybe you don't have a tolerance for risk in other aspects of your life. Let's ask you about maybe your financial savings. That's a risk that a lot of people take. Do you take risks in your financial savings? And I guess if you're comfortable answering this, if not, I'll just cut it out of the interview. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Do I like take risks in investment? Right, exactly. Yeah. You know, um, some people might think it's risky. I Some of my people think it's risky that I don't invest in the stock market or don't have this big retirement thing built up or that kind of stuff. But what I, what I tend to do is stuff that's more tangible, uh, stuff that actually you, you invest in something and then you get something tangible in return. Um, and then hope hopefully that investment increases like buying a piece of property or, or, or something like that, because, um, I like having stuff tangible, um, that I have, uh, I have control over that. Mm -hmm. Not somebody, you know, I, I always wondered, you know, you're with uh, financial institutions like investing in IDS or whatever uh, you, investment, uh, you know, you want to pick, um, is that these guys go to school and and, uh, and study money their whole lives and they're really good at it. 
I, for me, I think I'm not good at that. And if I'm not, I'm, I don't, I don't care that much about uh, finances to really delve into the going to school for economics. You know, I'd rather spend my time canoeing the boundary waters or something like that. So what I do is I, 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 I invest in stuff that's tangible that I can keep an eye on and, and I can have in my hands and, and uh, and that it leaves a lot of um, a lot of the stress and worry behind. Whether it goes up or down is kind of beside the point. I've taken the money and and it's something that I I like and I want to keep. And someday I may or may not sell it. Uh, money's never been a big motivator for me. I've uh, if I got money, I'll I'll spend it on another adventure or I'll uh, something like that. I always try to keep a little safety net but uh you know other than that i mean it's money's never been a big issue for me yeah it's interesting your job as an adventurer you go into these areas or these environments where you don't have control over the environment you have control over yourself but not necessarily the environment and with your finances you aren't comfortable going into a territory where you don't have control over the environment you don't want to subject your finances to that external risk. Also, I like what you said about stock picking there. Uh, Coincidentally, I was having this discussion with somebody this morning, but about when somebody who's not an expert is picking a stock, we should understand that I think it's around 80% of the market is controlled by professionals. So when you choose to buy or sell a stock, most likely the person on the other end of that buy or sell is somebody who knows more than you, unless you're a professional yourself. Oh, hands hands down, hands down, and I always wonder. I always wonder. Well, why are why are they spending time trying to get me to invest? Why don't they just invest? They know what they're doing. It's because they want my money. <laughs> you know. Let's talk about another form of risk, and that's driving. Do you take a lot of risks when you drive? Speeding, multitasking. Um. Yes. You do. Yeah. I do. Mm-hmm. I, I probably I probably uh, should be a, a, a little bit better driver. Mm-hmm. How about how about gambling? Do you do any gambling? Uh, no, I never do that. No gambling. Uh, no. How about career risk? Uh, I guess your career is uh, kind of affiliated with your adventuring, but do you see yourself as having a risky career where you could make it big or fail tomorrow, or do you feel more stability? Well, I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah, I've worked for myself my whole life, or almost my whole life, and uh, again, money's not a big issue. I mean, uh, we were out on the Arctic Ocean once for 34 days, and I had to have a rescue come, helicopter come and rescue me, and that was $103,000 in cash. Wow. So if, if I was all uptight about money, I probably wouldn't have got out on the Arctic Ocean to begin with right. to to risk myself to pay that kind of money, but... It was just it's just part of the game, right? It's part of the uh, it's part of what 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 you do. It's just part of an expedition. So the other two forms of risk that we, we actually just built in a survey were uh, risks in having sex. How, how do you use protection? And then also in drug use. But we won't. <laughs> the survey is confidential. We won't uh, have you answer those. <laughs> Um, But anyway, this survey is going on right now as we speak. It'll probably be over by the time I release this episode. But basically, we had our listeners uh, fill out their appetite for risk in all of those categories. So it'll be interesting to see if people compensate for risk uh, in other parts of their life. 
Right, right. Cool. Let's go on to your gear recommendation. Uh, you can choose anything that you'd like. It can be from a sponsor, a non-sponsor, preferably something that you're very passionate about. So let's hear something. It's a, been a long-time sponsor of mine for 20-some years. The The company is called Primaloft. Mm-hmm. They make a synthetic um, version of Down. And this, uh, this has uh, allowed me to do some of these expeditions and remain comfortable, like the circumnavigation in Greenland and uh, my North Pole trips in the summer and in the winter um, that uh, kept me comfortable. And the reason being is that Primaloft remains warm even when it gets wet or when it gets damp. Uh, unlike down that will, uh, if it gets damp or wet, uh, loses its um warmth ability it's it's loftiness so primaloft uh is uh you know still not that big of a company they've been um at it for quite a long time but they're really innovators right now uh in the in the outdoor industry where they're making primaloft from recycled plastics they're also making uh, uh, a down and primaloft blend uh in their jackets and uh, <clears throat> I just can't say enough about it because um, it's been in all my clothing uh, since uh, I started in Greenland back in 1997. Wow. So you have a long-term relationship. Do you, do you feel like you have a, 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 almost a personal connection to the gear? Are you very intimate with it? Yeah. I'm, I mean, there's just two companies that I've had an equally long-term relationship ship with there's Primaloft and Granite Gear mm-hmm. uh, that makes uh, backpacks and they're just two companies that uh, worked really hard to get where they are and they have quality gear and quality insulation and they and um, I've put it to the test I mean I've used Primaloft long before they were officially a sponsor the same thing with Granite Gear so uh, just slowly uh, blended into a really nice relationship with both those companies very nice Primaloft on Lonnie's Meister profile page on our website, mtnmeister.com. Lonnie, we have one more question for you, and that is who you would like to hear as the next person on the show. So you're today's Mountain Meister. Let's say we were going to bring on somebody like you to have a similar discussion. Who who would you want to hear? I think uh, Will Steger would be a really really good person to have on that show. Tell our listeners about Will. Uh, Will Steger uh, made it really big back in 1986 when he did a group dog sled uh, trip to the North Pole. And uh, he, um, uh, they did an unsupported dog sled journey from Canada to the North Pole and um, with a, a team, um, international team, and uh, it was just quite a harrowing uh, expedition. Uh, they had extreme temperatures of minus 72 below zero. They endured uh, two months of amazing hardship and uh and as a team managed to get to the north pole so so if you if you could ask will one question let's say you're going to make my job easier by creating a question for will if you could ask him one question that you'd like our listeners to hear what would that be i would ask will what 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 does he see as the as as the meaning in life wow 
Yeah. Good one. I won't ask you that question, though, Lonnie. That sounds like a tough one. <laughs> we'll save that for Will. Lonnie Dupre, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Ben. You have a great day. For the listeners, find out more on Lonnie's Meister profile page. Uh, you can also check out more about him at oneworldendeavors.com. Thanks, Lonnie. Thanks, Ben. Bye-bye. Lonnie Dupre, first man to ever solo summit Denali in the winter. Pretty impressive. Thanks, Lonnie, for joining us. Hope you enjoyed that one, Meister fans. If you like interesting topics like these, we've launched a blog on our website with just little mini thoughts. Normally they take like a minute or two to read. They're kind of fun. Go to the blog section on our website. Check it out. And while you're using the internet, go to buffusa.com. Capitalize on that 15% off with the code MEISTER at checkout. If you're debating whether or not to do it, just think. WWGD. What would Gina do? That's all for us today. Hope you enjoy doing the rest of whatever else you do while you listen. I'm Ben Shank, and you've been listening to Mountain Meister. <laughs>